All right, well, good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to The Well. Uh, my name is Alex Nichols, and I'm one of the, the elders here alongside Pastor Jonathan and Pastor Al. Um, if you are here for the first time or you're not aware, Pastor Al is uh, out of town for the next few weeks. And so um, as he's out of town, we're going to also take a break and a pause from First Timothy and uh, if you don't know, it's on the screen. We are taking uh, a, we're taking a detour for the next four weeks as we study or have a uh, it's called summer sessions. And we're going to study really and look at what does it look like to navigate uh, the hardship of life. And I know that's a, that's that's loaded. There's a lot that can come with that: anxiety, fear, stress. What does Jesus have to say? about these things. And so that's what it's going to look like for the next few weeks. Um, but this afternoon, our sermon text is going to be Matthew 6, 25 to 34. And so if you have a Bible, go ahead and make your way there. Um, but if you don't have one, raise your hand. Uh, one of our ushers will bring you one. If you don't have a Bible, this is our gift uh, for you. So take it um, home, love it, read it. But as I said, Matthew 6, 25 to 34. All right. We're going to go ahead and read all of our text, and then we'll take it from there. I'm going to jump in right now. We'll start Matthew 6, verse 25. Here we go. It says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body or what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these." Verse 30, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So before we go through each verse, which we are going to do that, I want to start by start our time by asking everybody three questions. Uh, if you want to write them down, you can. They're going to be on the screen, but I want you to answer them right now. Uh, don't, don't wait till later. Answer them right now as quick as you can as we go through them. Um, and so here we go. First question is this. First, if you were to take an account uh, of what you spend your time being anxious about, what would be the first few things that come to mind and why? Okay. So consider what are those things that you're really anxious about regularly. Write them down. What are the first few things and why, if you can? Okay. Second question, what do you do when that sense of fear and anxiety take hold of you. So you're full of anxiety and fear. How do you react? Okay. What do you do when that sense of fear and anxiety take hold of you? And how do you react? And then third is what does Jesus tell us to do in the midst of our anxiety? And why? 
What does Jesus tell us to do in the midst of our anxiety and why? And I get some of these questions are, there's a bit long and maybe we can't answer them right now. And so we're going we're gonna to look at what God's word says and he's going to answer these questions. So as we go along, if you need to go back and answer them, answer them as we go along as well. But we're going to jump in to 25 and we're going to start with our first question here. But let's look at what Jesus says here, starting in verse 25 again. He says, therefore, I tell you, Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And so... To help us a bit, we need to know that, that during the time in which Jesus is, is speaking, is saying these things, he's aware of the primary things that created the most anxiety in people, uh, right? Those things being, as we read it, what they would eat. So next, where their, their next meal would come from, right? What people would drink. Uh, they, weren't, they didn't have, you know, Red Bull and all these things to choose from. It was, where are we going to find water next, right? And then the last thing is, what are they going to wear, what they would wear. These are the things that Jesus is speaking to that they would be most filled with as far as anxiety goes. And so between the weather, harsh living conditions, knowing where your next uh, meal was going to come from, where your next cup of water was going to come from, and if you'd have appropriate clothing during certain seasons throughout the year, these were more than enough things to cause a great deal of anxiety and fear for them. Now, for us in America, right, uh, while we may have advanced in many ways, uh, it's actually said that the, the top three causes of anxiety in our country are our money, work, and the economy, right? Many people, very, I'm, I'm willing to bet many of us are looking at budgets and, and, and our income and trying to figure out how are we going to make ends meet? How are we going to pay for this? How are we going to do X, Right? And we, if you're not aware, I'd be a little surprised, but we, we know the cost of living, right, is, it's gone up. It's the largest, actually, it said, uh, it's, we've seen the largest increase in 2022 since 1981, roughly, okay? So we're stressed out, anxious, trying to figure out, are we going to even have enough money for our families, right? And then those who, without work or don't have a job, are struggling to find work, um, and then those that do have work, they're going, I'm not sure if what I'm making is going to be enough or if I'm going to be able to make ends meet. And if it is, it's, it's tight. It's really close. We're living paycheck to paycheck, right? And so we're, we're, and we all know, additionally, I want to say this, that the, the events going on that have been going on globally um, are affecting us nationally and affecting us locally, Right? And so we see those effects in the cost of living. We see those effects in shortages for things that are, are, are still going on, for things like baby formula that, that are not, these are not luxuries. They're things that we need, right? They're things that we need to, to survive, to live. And so here's the point. It's, it's the same things that Jesus was addressing in our text here during this time are the same things that we are still today, very much so. Uh, this means that it, the means in which we use, right, to get, to, to eat, to drink, and to wear something are actually all connected to the top three causes of anxiety in our country. Like to say we're not worried about 
having enough is not true. It's not. How many of you would agree or find yourself worrying about similar things that they were during this time as well? And so the point is this, is that Jesus is not just talking to them. He's speaking directly to us. Jesus is speaking directly to you, and he's speaking directly to myself, and he's speaking directly to the anxiety that we may be feeling. And so we should listen. Now, I want to be clear. There are certainly more causes of anxiety, but, but that's not so much the point here that I'm trying to make. While those do matter, um, I'm, not, I'm not dismissing additional causes of anxiety because Jesus certainly does not. Um, but it's, it's much more about what, or sorry, it's much more about the why behind what's causing our anxiety, right? So it's not so much what is causing our anxiety, but why we are experiencing this anxiety. Hence the reason for the first question that we looked at at the beginning. If you were to take an account of what you spend your time being anxious about, what are the first few things that come to mind and why? If you were to take an account of what you spend your time being anxious about, what would be the first few things that come to mind and why? So Jesus is, is fully aware of, of not just how they're feeling in the text during this time, but, but you, and here's what he says. Jesus says, verse 25, do not be anxious about your life. That's what he says. Do not be anxious about your next meal. Do not be anxious about the, your next beverage nor what you might wear. I'm going to ask again, what's causing regular rhythm, rhythms of anxiety? Why is it that those things are your primary stressors? And what are you concerned about God providing? No matter what your answers are or, or what is causing you anxiety, the reality is Jesus is asking you and I to consider the answer to this question in verse 25. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Is not life more than all of these things? So G Jesus is asking a rhetorical question to these people. Still worth considering. The people listening, including you and I, know the answer to this question, right? Life is not about these things. Life, the list that you may have just jotted down, it's not about these things. Life is not about any of those things that are causing anxiety. Which, honest, if we're being honest, though, right, Jesus' question then begs another question that you and I should ask ourselves. Have you centered your life on any of the things that have come to mind today, right now? Have you made life about any of those things? Have you put hope, and more importantly, even a, even a hint of security in anything other than Jesus? And we're going to talk about provision, because, G, because that's what Jesus is about to get out here, but... We have to understand and remember before we move forward, if our identity and our security in this life are wrapped up in our work, in money, in anything else, we're not only going to be disappointed. That's it's a very low bar there. But we're very likely going to be full of anxious all the time, very regularly. And so we, we should pause 
And maybe we have some homework later to consider, man, are there idols present? Am I putting hope in anything else here? Where do I need to repent? There may just be idolatry present, right? And so Jesus is asking us for our consideration, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? So Jesus then continues in verse 26 and 27 by helping drive home the point he's made, and then he adds to it. So let's look at it. He says, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Jesus basically, like, he's like, look out the window. Wherever you are, well, when you leave here, look at the birds. I care for them. I feed them. I clothe them. And I provide them their needs. And they're birds. And he asks a question again. It's obvious. Are you not of more value than they? And as obvious as this answer may be, I want to I wanna acknowledge, I want to just s- slow down and pause and say, hey, I, I, I get that just because it's clear, like we were reading that, that God does, in fact, value each and every person in here, in every human pla- being in this place, more than all of creation, uh, does not necessarily make it easy to believe and experience, right? Like each of us know that, God, if you don't hear me say this, that God values us greatly, but we struggle, right? In the day-to-day when we are hard-pressed and we're lacking and we're anxious and we're concerned, we don't see the means, we don't see the needs that we're, gonna, that we're asking for. It's hard and we struggle to truly believe and truly remember, my Father in heaven values me. I know that, I know that many of us, myself included, as well, compare, right, even our own parents, our own friends, our own spiritual parents, our own spiritual fathers and mothers to God the Father. And then what we'll do is we'll project those people and those experiences onto who we think God is and conclude things about who he is or what he's going to do that are not true. And we, we think, maybe y'all think this, I know I do. Man, I'm not sure he does. I, don't, I, I know God, maybe he loves me, I don't know. Is this what God's love, is this what it looks like? I'm not sure. I I think I'm valued. We question everything. I'm not sure God will give us what we need. I know, I'm asking, is he going to provide? Those are real, if that's you and you haven't told anybody that, you're in good company. Those Those are real things. But church, I want us to hear, what does Jesus say? Are you not of more value than they Jesus is trying to remind us that we are more valuable than all of creation. And he's highlighting to you and to I what is true. What's true. And so reconciling and processing through how we feel and what we know to be true according to what the Bible says and what God says is vital. So important. And we have to test what we think and feel with what is true all the time, daily. And that's God's word. 
We have to. Because the reality is, church, is that God the Father does value you. That's what Jesus is saying here in verses 26 and 27. He certainly values you more than all of creation. I'm going to run through a handful of verses here. You can write them down. I'm not going to be on the screen. It says in Genesis 1.27, we know that God created man in, his, in, his, in the image of God. We know in Genesis 1.26-27 also that God created no other living being like man. Also in, in, one, in 1 Genesis 26 and 27, we know that God gave man dominion. It means he gave him authority to rule over all the earth and its creatures. And then in Romans 5.8, we know as, as, as well as many other places in the Bible, it says that God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's true. God's word is true, and that is what we know. And, we've, and, and so we therefore know the answer to this question. Are you not of more value than they? It's the most sure and certain yes we could ever know. God values you more than all of creation. That much is apparent. Over, there's overwhelming evidence here in these few verses alone. And so Jesus died, you need to see this, in your place for your sins. My question, does that not declare the value in which he has for you? 1 Corinthians 6.20, Paul says, you were bought with a price. And so let me ask you this. How is it that you know someone values something? Like your friends, your family, how do you know they value an object, a, a, something, right? What do, what do they do when they value a person or an object? They give time to it, right? They give money. They spend money on it. They think about it. They tell other people about it. And they use their gifts. They use everything they have in their power, their talents, to enjoy that person or that object more. And so what's happening is that they aim to be in the presence of that which they value as much as they can. They want to enjoy it as much as possible. Jesus' desire in his mission, because he values you so much, was for you to be in his presence forever. He wants to enjoy a relationship with you forever. And so when you are considering buying something, let's say it's fairly expensive, I don't I know how we work with certain things, objects. Eventually, we move on. That's not what's happening here. It's not how it works with Jesus. Jesus desires eternity with us. And so, going back to this object, you, you think, though, like, is the object that I want worth giving the money it costs? That's something that is, it's this much money, I have to pay for it. Is it valuable enough to me to spend the money to purchase that item? And, and if what you desire to have is worth paying the price that it requires, you sacrifice and you give something, whatever the amount may be, that is required to buy that object, get the object. And if it isn't worth it, then, and it's not valuable enough, you're not going to buy it. 
Or maybe you'll, you'll negotiate. You'll try to talk down the seller, right? Church, 1 Corinthians 6.20 tells us we were bought with a price, and that price could not be paid for by you and I. Jesus himself says that you are more valuable than all of creation, and he proved it. Because what Jesus did was purchase and pay for something we could never. And without Christ, we are without hope. There's no, there's no deal to be made. There's no negotiating to be had. There's no such thing as talking down the seller. The price and the payment that was due because of our sin is a perfect and blameless, sinless life, death, and resurrection. That was the cost. And so Jesus not only paid for you with his life, but then he, through the resurrection, gave you what you did not pay for. You weren't even looking for it. God gives freely what you cannot afford. And God gives freely what you cannot earn. This is what grace is. This is how much he values you. So, are you not of more value than they? Absolutely. Absolutely. Jesus then says in verse 27, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And so church, not only, not only do we know that God values us because of what he has done and how he's, he does provide, but there is also, we need to know and be reminded, a reality coming that one day we will be with Jesus in his presence again forever if we know, love, and trust God. And we'll, we'll see this more later, but Jesus' desires for us to know, his desire for us is, for us to know and be sure, to be certain that God provides both present needs and future provision, right? So we don't, we don't need to worry. That's the point of what Jesus is asking again in verse 27. The question, once again, isn't hard to answer. Jesus is like, by, he's saying, by being anxious, who, can, who here can manipulate time? Who here can add Time to your life by being anxious about what you are in need of. Nobody. But God is our provider. God wants to and will provide not just for the birds and the animals, but for you and I. He will provide. We just sang about it. It's true. So consider this, church. Suppose, if you're unconvinced, your kids, suppose your kids come to you. If you don't have kids, Act like you're about to have some or pretend you have some on the way. But suppose your kids come to you and they say, they come to you, oh, we're thirsty. They're hungry, right? They're asking for something to drink. They're asking for something to eat. You don't say, son, you need to wait until you're 18 and move out. And then I'll give you something to eat and drink. It's kind of the opposite, right? Uh, Like you don't tell your children who can't, fend for themselves at all even, just wait. Wait on the things that are life-sustaining that will, that will, that will keep you alive. You wait, and wait next week for that glass of water. We don't, we don't, I hope we don't do that. Uh, Jesus is aware of your needs. 
He's aware of our needs. He, he knows them and he will provide. He's not going to have you wait until heaven to have your needs met. He will provide. And so the question that Jesus asks, he says, in which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to a span of life? None of you. Nobody. Trust Jesus. And so what are those three things you're anxious about? What do you worry about that you, that you doubt God's provision in? Why? You cannot add more time to your life by worrying about such things. But, right, the reality is we do worry. We are anxious. We are fearful. Are we not? And so this leads me to our second question that I asked us at the beginning. It says, what do you do when that sense of fear and anxiety take hold of you? How do you react? What do you do when the sense of fear and anxiety take hold of you? And how do you react? And so Jesus continues, verse 28 to 30. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? And so Jesus, he's continuing to build this case. And he gives us, he gives you and I two more reasons as to why we should not be anxious. So first he tells us, verse 28, look at the lilies of the field. All right, for us in Texas, San Antonio, Look at those blue bonnets. If you don't know what those are, welcome to San Antonio. Wait a little bit longer. They'll sprout. But he's going, look at the blue bonnets. See how they grow. God provides for the blue bonnets in every season. What do they do? Nothing. They don't toil or spin, and yet God provides for the blue bonnets. And then he goes on and he mentions Solomon, he says, in all his glory. And so really the idea here that Jesus is trying to make is that, that Solomon, while he was very, very well-dressed, he really paled in comparison to the beauty of the lilies that God provided for because of the way in which the lilies were utterly, completely dependent on God providing. God had to make it happen. And so God cares for the blue bonnets, and he provides greatly for them in season and out of season. And see, so he goes on. Second, he says, But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? And so we'll get to this, this phrase here, in a, this last part here in a minute. But, but again, grass during certain seasons, much like Texas, uh, would be harvested uh, or used basically for them during this time as, as a natural source of, uh, of fire, for, for cooking even. And so Jesus is going, hey, look at the grass that I provide for you and grow, which is alive on Monday and then gone on Tuesday, right? If you have grass in Texas, don't hold on to it. Uh, 
it's gone, it's here one day, it's gone the next, it's burnt up. The life of that grass that's green one day and is burnt up the next is so brief. And yet God provides for the grass. And so the point is this, is if Jesus so clothes the grass of the field that is here one day and gone the next, will he not much more clothe you? Yes, Jesus will, church. And why? How, how do we know? Because the question, again, is a lot like what we see in verse 26 where Jesus says or asks, are you not of more value than they? The grass, the blue bonnets. Absolutely. God clothes and cares for the grass of the field, which is here today, gone tomorrow. He will provide for you. So Jesus, then he, then he takes it a step further. He says at the end of that verse there, he says, Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? And so he's not, he's not trying, or Jesus is trying to get our attention in seeing it isn't so much what you don't have or what you wish that you had that causes great anxiety. What we see happening here is it's who you know that counts. It's who you know. And so this phrase he uses, oh, you of little faith, this isn't Jesus going, shame on you. He's not trying to shame the people struggling to have anxiety and fear and are regularly stressed out and calling into question their salvation. Rather, Jesus wants us to be reminded. He's trying to remind us of our faith. That's what's happening. Jesus actually only uses this language that we see here, oh, you of little faith. He uses this with his disciples. So those of him, the people that know him, love him, and trust him. So this is not a, it's not a shame. It's a reminder. And so in the midst of the fear and the, and, the, and the panic and the anxiety, Jesus wants us to be reminded that he is our provider. He wants to, he wants to remind us that the same God that saved us is the same God that will sustain us both now and then forever. And so not only does Jesus know and recognize our material needs, our our daily needs, our daily bread, and and even long-term needs, but he recognizes the deeper issue here present. It's a heart that has doubt and a deficiency of faith. It's not a shame, though. And so what he wants to do, the point is, is Jesus aims to provide the temporary need that you have and provide your eternal need, church. He's aiming to provide the temporary need that you are asking for or need of today. And he's aiming to provide your eternal need. That's his desire. And so as you feel the, the waning of your faith and anxiety and fear just rising up, you must turn your attention to Jesus. For we know that God is our provider. Right? And so I ask again, what do you do when that sense of panic and fear and anxiety take hold of you? How do you react? And so as, G, as, as I said, Jesus, he's not trying to shame us. That's not what's happening for our, our deficiency of faith that we experience. That's not what he's doing. 
He's actually trying to do something extraordinary. He's through the anxiety, through the hardship, through the fear. He wants to use these moments. I'd, I'd actually say, especially the moments that we're thinking of that, are, that, that we're hard-pressed. He's using these to try to grow our faith and trust in Christ. But this implies, church, that we don't run from or, or, or passively deal with these issues. But we have to bring them to Jesus. And when I, say, when I say we approach God with them or we bring them to Jesus, what I mean is through prayer. Not, not just prayer, but particularly as I'm speaking to this, I'm, we, we go to God going, God, this is my need. And so we, it means we approach God with the fear that we have, that we're experiencing. And we approach God with our anxiety. We approach God with the doubt that we're feeling. Jesus then says in verse 31, 32, Therefore don't be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. So Jesus goes back again to what he started with, telling them to not be anxious about these things. And his reasoning we see here, it's twofold. First, he says, for the Gentiles seek after all of these things. Right? And then second, he says, your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. And so uh, Luke 12, 30, it's not on the screen, but it says like this, for all the nations of the world seek after these things. Okay, so Jesus makes a very clear distinction. If you're not, if, if you're not picking it up, he's making a very clear distinction between Gentiles, those of the world, right? And then the, the king's kids. Jesus is making a point here to say to us, church, that he does not want us to identify as the world does, but as saints. And so God wants us to identify as blood-bought sons and daughters who know with absolute certainty that our heavenly Father knows what you need and he will provide it. And so that's the second thing Jesus says, right? He's, he says, your father in heaven knows that you need them all. And this matters because here's the deal. After, having said everything, if it's true that God provides for the birds and the grass and the flowers, and if it's true that God values you more than all of them and will also provide for you, then it must be true that if God knows what you need, he will provide it. He will. But the question we gotta, we got to wrestle with is, do you believe it? You know it. Do you doubt God's goodness towards you? Do you trust that he values and will provide for you? And better yet, right, the question, what do you do while you wait? And this, this gets us to our third question. What does Jesus tell us to do in the midst of our anxiety and why? And so verse 33, Jesus says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And so thus far, Jesus has made it clear God values you. Abundantly clear. God knows all your needs, and God will provide for you. We know that, that Jesus knows about our anxiety as well. 
Jesus knows that we are worried about it. And here is what he says. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And so he's not, Jesus is not saying to look for something here that is not already present. Jesus is instead saying to the king's kids, those that know, love, and trust Jesus, we should, our daily lives, we should form our daily lives by doing what Jesus has said, which is to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And so I kind of spoke to this earlier, but this means that we have daily, daily rhythms of feasting, enjoying, reading God's word. We have daily rhythms, regular rhythms of praying, talking to God. We are regularly enjoying and nourishing ourselves with Jesus and his word because we know this is the only thing that will sustain us. It's the only thing that will ground us in everything going on in our world. Romans speaks, says it, that, that it's the, the thing that will transform our minds. Right? And so again, it's, Jesus is making a very clear distinction between those that know Christ and then that those who do not. And so when we experience these moments, the encouragement is that we would see the moments where we're stressed and anxious as invitations to go, run to Jesus. Run to him in prayer until we literally begin experiencing peace that guards our hearts and minds. My friend uh, described reading God's word and and prayer in this way. He said that and look he said that when we eat meals, like when we eat food, we eat two to three meals a day or more, right? We fill ourselves with all kinds of foods and beverages because we need it to be sustained, right? Those are things that we need to live. And yet when it comes to God's word, we often wait until Sunday upon hearing God's word preached, expecting that it would be so nourishing that we could go the whole week without enjoying Jesus and his word at all. And so what would happen if you only had one meal a week? Like not like a, a buffet. I might get you a few more days down the road, but just normal one meal a week. You'd lose weight, sure, but you'd be incredibly malnourished and you'd be so deficient in what you need to do just regular everyday activities that you would not really likely be able to do much of anything. It's no different when we consider how Jesus and his word sustains his church. We should not expect to withstand both our enemy, Satan, and the anxieties and chaos of everything going on in our lives if we don't know our God and are daily enjoying Jesus in his word. And so the point, here's the point, is to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness means we run to Jesus every single day enjoying him in his word through prayer every day, every single day, because our life and relationship with Jesus depends on it. And more importantly, in the moments 
that we've been talking about when we're under pressure, we're, we're strung out, we're full of anxiety, and we, those, are the, those are the moments, I know we know it, but I'm going to say it, we need Jesus the most. Run to him. Ask him. for what. Make your requests known to God. We must ask God to help us where we have unbelief, doubt, and fear present. Give Jesus your anxieties, church. He can bear your burdens. And so the hope that we have is not in ourselves. It's not in anything around us. That's the reality. We cannot hope to eliminate the fear, the anxiety, everything going on without Jesus. The response Jesus gives in verse 33 is literally the opposite. We eliminate worry by seeking Jesus and his righteousness. And we combat it when it's on its way, as it's coming, when life circumstances are on their way, when we have daily rhythms of meeting with Jesus. That's how we withstand what's on its way. That's how we endure and so there's a reality, though, we, we spend far too much time, right, stressing out about things that probably will never come to pass. Adding no time to our life, as Jesus says. And Jesus, what he does is he puts first things first here. He's telling us, seek the kingdom of God and God's righteousness. But my question for you and I to consider is, what kingdom are you after? What kingdom are you after? And so if you analyze your life in, in, in what kingdom, the question is what kingdom, as you look at, look at your day-to-day, look at what's going on, what does it appear that you claim allegiance to? Right? Jesus knows that our greatest problem is that there are other kingdoms we are seeking. There are other things that have our attention regularly. We're looking to build up other kingdoms There are other kingdoms we are after. And so it makes sense if you think about this that it's not surprising, I should say, that we are as as, as anxious and stressed and fearful and worried as, as we may be. And so we're looking to and seeking, the reality is, the wrong kingdom. And so when our lives center on anything but God, we're going to experience the consequences, the ramifications of such behaviors. And so we need to be reminded that we are sons and daughters of God and we should therefore seek first the kingdom of God. And so Jesus wraps up by saying, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And so it's, 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 here's the reality that we have to see, guys. You can worry and be anxious all day long about things before you, right now, today, presently, the next day, the next month, the next year, whatever, but it will do absolutely nothing for you. I'm, not, I'm all for planning. Ask my wife. She does not like it. <laughs> but it's not gonna, that's not what we're talking about. When we are consumed with anxiety and stress and fear, what's happening is it will only perpetuate continual stress if you distrust who God is 
and what he promises to do. And so God is the only one who knows what the next day will bring church. It's useless and unhelpful to try and to control and predict and to worry about what tomorrow will bring. Just like a hamster running on a wheel, just going and going and going. There will always be things fighting for our hearts and our hearts' affections and our minds' attention. But regardless, God will always be prepared to provide not just your daily need, but your eternal need, church. In every instance that fear and anxiety rise, again, this is an opportunity to trust in Jesus and run to him. And so, as we conclude, I want you to consider that the anxiety and the stress that you are feeling and experiencing, these are, these are loud announcements, red flags for us that God is trying to use to grab our attention, right, and direct our focus back to him to seek first his kingdom. And so that's how we're going to respond today. I want, us, I want you right now to consider what is it that just grips you with anxiety. Maybe it's one of those things on your list. The command that we're given in light of how we feel primarily when we feel anxious is to seek first the kingdom of God. And so I want us to consider that Jesus, who is telling us all of this, this is the good news. This is, I hope this encourages you that Jesus was perfectly unanxious. Jesus, full well knowing what he came to do and why he came to do it, was not anxious. Instead, he was full of trust and full of faith in God the Father. And so Jesus, our big brother, trusted God the Father perfectly. So Jesus came and where, he, where doubt and anxiety presented themselves to him, he, did not, he didn't fail. He didn't doubt. Jesus did what we could not. He obeyed the command to seek first the kingdom of God perfectly. And this should be encouraging and amazing news for you and I because it means that the righteous requirement to fulfill this command Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness is already yours. The perfect and righteous requirement to fulfill the command, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness is already yours. Because Jesus not only lived a perfect and blameless life, an obedient life unto God the Father, but died in our place for our sins, and upon his resurrection, he made available and gave you and I the same perfectly available, obedient spirit. The Holy Spirit that was present with Jesus is the same one living in you and I, if you know love and trust God. And so if you know Jesus, take hope. Take hope. Jesus demonstrated with every breath on earth that he can bear your anxieties. He can. Bring them to him. Bring them to him today. Plead with God for faith. 
If you don't know Jesus, I, I ask you to consider the reality that no person, no object will ever be able, be able to provide for you in the ways that our God does. And so he gives us, he gives provision not just for our daily and temporary needs, but our eternal need for a Savior. So let's turn to Jesus now and seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Let me pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your son Jesus. We thank you that where we are convinced of things that are simply not true, um, God, you, through your son Jesus, you made available an abundance of grace where we doubt, an abundance of grace where we fall short. And so we thank you for that. We ask that where we are struggling to believe, we're struggling to trust that you would help us, Father. Help us to trust you. Help us to make it a habit to run to you, Father. We thank you for your son, Jesus, and pray and ask all this in your name. Amen.